0: Are we there? Are we doing it? Yes, we are. Climate change collection. I feel like we need a drum roll and I'm a little bit nervous about doing this, um, but, and I definitely will do two episodes, maybe three. We'll see how we go, but I want to today take a biblical approach. That's where I want to start. Um, so, yes, we are going to dive into climate change. I know when I told that to Cameron, he looked at me and went, Seriously? R- really? I'm like, Yes, because come on, this is what you guys want from me, right? We talk about the real issues, and this is like number one topic right now. So, I have thought about doing this before, but I knew that it would take a heck of a lot of research because. Um, it's hard for me to really fully wrap my head around it all it's such a kind of scientificy thing and not really great with maths and science uh you know we hear all this talk of emissions and energy and greenhouse and it's like what does this all mean um but it has become one of the most prominent issues in the media across the world so I figured let's do this are you with me on this guys um I'm look, I'm a little bit suspicious about everything here for, for a few reasons. There's a few, not even suspicious. There's some stuff that actually, uh, concerns me, um, about this whole narrative that we're hearing with climate change, because I think the first reason is that anything that the media jumps on with such strength just makes me concerned. Um, because, the media more and more and more are no longer subjective. Like they're no objective, sorry, wrong word. They're no longer objective. That's what their role used to be. The role of the media used to be to not have an opinion and to present two sides to an argument. And then they would just report on that unbiasedly. But more and more, we're seeing the media becoming really woke and just pushing, you know, woke uh, ideologies and really kind of biased. Um, We see this, I'll I'll give you a few examples of what I mean. Um, We see this when they don't like a prime minister, for example. So I remember when Tony Abbott was prime minister for a really kind of short time, they literally went on a campaign to slaughter him, I don't think I ever read one good thing in the in the media, in the mainstream media about Tony Abbott. They just were on this witch hunt for him, uh, on a campaign to bring him down. And yet with Anthony Albanese, I've hardly seen any criticism of him. And so it's like, it's really unbalanced. It's like they decide, they have an opinion on what's really good and who's really good. And we've just got to listen. And so my trust is gone, going in the mainstream media. And I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, It makes me wonder who are the investors behind the media? Um, Another example is, you know, one minute, all we hear about is COVID, 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 we're all going to die. Do you know, this time last year, in July last year, when we were on, we sent our teenagers on winter camp and Cameron and I went for a few days to Noosa. I remember 11 o'clock on the second day of camp, or first day of camp, they'd only been there one night, the state premier decided because of one case, one case of COVID, we were shutting down the whole state and that's what we did. And now one year later, it's like, COVID who? COVID what? And yet we have tens of thousands of cases still happening. So, and and the media are a huge part of this. One minute the media, it's all they're reporting. The next minute they don't report at all. And so it's like, this is just like really weird Um, that what happens is they go on to their next big thing. Now, the next big thing at the moment, transgender sports, or um, the other thing they go on and on about is the energy crisis. So it's really interesting. So anyway, that's one reason that I'm concerned because of how the media reports, the second reason that I'm concerned is because of the science. So on climate change, when it comes to this issue, we're told, duh, right, follow the science. Yet on issues of, say, for example, gender ideology, don't follow the science. And this concerns me because it means that they're cherry picking the science that suits them. And then they tell us, what science we can and can't listen to so listen to the scientists on climate change don't listen to the scientists on biology so i think i think there needs to be like one kind of rule across the board either we use science or we don't use science and if we're going to use science then we can't just look at a specific part of the pie now science is something i think we should all definitely look to not as our complete worldview though, because it is fallible and changing. And there's a lot of disagreement um, or not disagreement, different points of view among the scientific um, community, but it can be used to guide us. So if we look here at the science, when it comes to climate change, what science are we being told to follow? Now you guys could do this, Google it, fact check it, look on any website and you will see the same thing over and over and over. You are going to hear this stat that 97% of climate experts agree that global warming is real and caused by humans. And that fact right there, that 97% of climate experts agree is literally rammed down our throats. Because what they're doing is they're trying to make anyone who might want to ask a question to feel bad. Like if you even question this, you are an ignorant climate denier. The implication is that you're part of the crazy 3% of scientists. Like who wants to be part of the crazy 3%, right? Like that makes you a conspiracy theorist, right? And none of us want to be called that. So why do we keep finding this number, this stat of 97%? What they're doing is it's a word game. You've got to be clever. They're not talking about 97% of the scientific community as a whole. They are talking about 97% of some scientists and specifically the climate change scientists. Well, of course the climate change scientists are going to say that. So if you Google, and I tried doing this, if you Google how many scientists in general agree about the cause of global warming, you still only get one answer. And the one answer that you will get is exactly what I said before, that the vast majority of who, not all scientists the actively publishing climate scientists, right? So you've got to dig deep for that one. Like not just the climate scientists, the, the ones that are actually actively publi- um, publishing articles, the, which are supposedly 97% agree that humans are causing global warming, warming and climate change. So they are being really sneaky here, we got to fact check the fact checkers, guys, because it's not all scientists, all right? So just remember that 97% is referring to only those who have published articles about climate change. Now, you will, look, if you can find this statistic, please let me know, but I am still trying to find, well, if we took the scientific community in general, like the whole scientific community, what percent agree? I'd like to know that. Why are they hiding that from us? I don't know. That's really confusing. Um, so it seems to me like they're manipulating the answer every single time in Google. Try it yourself. Stop the podcast right now and put in the question, how many scientists agree that climate change is real and uh, the cause is humans? Like, Just put that in and you will not see... Very, very few will actually, uh, I think there was one article that I found, which I'm going to share in just a moment from The Guardian, um, that that basically are a bit looser and say all scientists, but they don't mean all scientists. The majority of the answers that you will find will say climate scientists and not just climate scientists, actively publishing. So I'm just wondering why they have to go so hard to skew their numbers there. Um, because what if we turned it and we use that same tactic with gender ideology, Like, how about we tried to find out, and good luck finding this, you won't find it. How many biology experts in the science community believe that we're born, scientifically back up, that we're born with the biological sex that determines our gender? That would be a huge number, but you won't find that because we're not allowed to ask that question and they don't release um, the answers to that because why it doesn't suit their narrative. Um, So instead, you'll see articles like the one in The Guardian. This was in October last year, and the heading of the article was Case Closed. 99.9% of scientists agree climate emergency is caused by humans. Now, see how emotive that argument, that that headline is? Case Closed. In other words, don't ask another question. Don't you dare... believe anything else. Don't you dare even consider anything else. The case is closed 99.9%. So now we're going up of scientists. Now, if you go through the article, when they say that they actually mean the actively published scientists, which we probably should expand a bit on that and find out how many articles we're actually going by since we want to change all these policies. So anyway, that's my second reason that I'm concerned because of the way that Science is is manipulated and and used. And the third reason I get concerned is when any topic becomes the center of a political campaign. Um, you know, I I always think, okay, that's concerning. Why there must have a reason for this, and the reason usually comes down to votes and money. So that's kind of my concern about why this issue. Why that that's my question. Why is this issue of climate change being pushed so, so heavily in the worldwide media. Um, We're being told that it's just, you know, the majority of scientists agree and we're not allowed to disagree. And, you know, so I just have so many questions and I'm, I'm concerned that most of us who have a genuine love and a genuine concern for our beautiful environment and our beautiful planet, that maybe we're being politicized and taken advantage of. I don't know. I mean, do you really think, let me ask you guys a question. Do you really think that people um, in power at the highest level of these energy companies and those in the highest level of government, do you actually really think that their number one priority is the actual climate? Or do you think perhaps that their number one priority might be money or power? Like genuine question, how would you answer that? And that's my question too. And maybe if we look back at history, that kind of helps us with that question. And so it makes me wonder, you know, we have a genuine concern, but but the people that are pushing it the hardest, do they, or is there another agenda at play? Um, And where does all this leave us guys? Um, Where it leaves us is us having to be as wise as serpents. We have to become really discerning. We need to, what do I always say? Think critically, ask questions, do our own research, look at both sides of the argument. But where I want to begin with this, because it's so emotive and and so many people are so passionate about this, I want to begin with what does the Bible say? Because if we can put a biblical framework around climate change and have that as the foundation and then go from there, then I think we're on the right track. So I don't want to let the panicked views of others in power guide my moral compass here, because I don't let the views of others in power guide my moral compass at any time. So when we've got God as our foundation, that's the most solid place to begin. You know that old song on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other Ground is sinking sand, like that is such a perfect analogy right now. That Christ is indeed the solid rock. Any other foundation to me is sinking sand, whether it be climate change, whether it be gender ideology, um, whatever it is that we're talking about. So, the media, the government, and the scientists, although we can learn from them, um, well, I don't think we can really learn from the media, but you know. Um, We can take all their perspectives, but they're not, and they shouldn't be our moral compass. They're not the ones who should get to decide what our worldview is. We should let God do that. His word frames my worldview, no matter what the world tells me is true. So let's get into this. Um, There are a lot of sensationalized images around climate change. And there's a lot of emotive language. And so, you know, and none of us, none of us want to be seen as not caring, right? Like it's almost like if you question it or you want to ask questions that immediately you're put in this category of, oh, you don't care and you're a climate denier. And that's not true. And the world is getting really good at boxing people who don't do what the world are telling them that they should do. Um, and I've talked about this many times. Um, you know, for example, don't post a black tile, you're racist. Don't have a vaccine, you're an anti vaxxer. Now, we know neither of those things are true. People, there are many people who didn't post a black tile who are not racist. There are many people who did not have a vaccine who are not anti vaxxers but that's the way that the world treats us. And it's the same with this. If you ask a question, climate denier. Um, And so that's not a good place to be. And that is not a godly way to treat people. And it's not a godly way to look at things. So let's, um, I did a bit of an experiment before. What I did is I just, I jumped onto my phone and I Googled climate change. And then I clicked on news because I just wanted to see what came up. And everything that comes up is bad. It's like, whoa, we're in trouble. So here are are a few of the headlines that were making headlines today when I did this. Iconic Mount Everest base camp is moving due to climate change. Another one, microbats. I don't even know what they are, but they look like tiny little baby bats. Microbats face extinction due to climate change. Third one, climate change is everywhere and dangerous survey shows. Another one, climate change um, heating remote community homes to oppressive levels. So that's just one example. I mean, you guys do the same and see what happens. But when it comes to climate change, we're hearing words like um, emergency, Crisis, existential threat. Like, think of Greta Thunberg's, Thunberg's speech from a couple of years ago now, the How Dare You speech. Like, we all know, we all, if I said to you, How dare you, you all know what we're referring to. Um, and let me quote a little bit of what she said. Um, how dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of mass extinction. And so that was a couple of years ago that she said that. She was crying as she said that. Um, it's very controversial. So, I mean, but you know, when you hear things like that, it's just so like, Oh my gosh, we're all about to die. Like there's this is ex, ex- I can't say that word. Existential. Um so when I see or hear things like that, you know, that makes me go, okay, is this true? Like are we at the beginning of mass extinction? And then so I go and I research it and I'm definitely going to go more into this on the next episode. Um but just on one that one comment alone, it creates such hysteria and fear in children as well. Um And I just want to throw this one in here, but did you actually know that the numbers of how many people die of climate-related causes like storms, cold, heat, floods, has actually gone down by 98% over the last century? Isn't that an insane statistic? Let me say that again. The numbers of how many people die of climate change-related causes like storms, cold, heat, floods, has gone down by 98% over the last century. So when we hear Greta saying that we're at the beginning of mass extinction, it kind of doesn't match up with, with a stat like that. Um, also, statistically, we're 50 times safer now from climate-related causes than we were a hundred years ago. That's crazy. So is there any other emergency that you know of where you're 50 times better off? Like, so if I said to you, hey, you are 50 times less likely to starve to death now than you were a century ago, would you say that we're in a food shortage emergency right now? Well, you would say, no, of course not, because I'm 50 times less likely to starve. So of course, there's not a food crisis right now. So this is what I'm talking about, about being discerning and, and, and asking questions when we hear these things. So let, let's sit up set up this biblical framework. The first thing I want to say is number one, there is a biblical basis that the climate is designed to be stable. That's Interesting. So let me say it again. There is a biblical basis, and I'll go through it with you, that the climate is actually designed to be stable. So in other words, there's actually not a biblical basis for climate emergency. Now, guys, I want you to stay with me here, okay? For some of you going, oh my gosh, right now she's denying climate change. No, I'm not. Wait until the very end. Wait until next week. Um, but let's look at this biblically. There's no biblical basis for an emergency. So global warming activists have predicted massive flooding and a dramatic disruption of the atmosphere. But the Bible is actually clear that God already brought a global flood. God bought it, by the way, and destroyed the earth with water, which you can read about in Genesis 6 and 7. And then after the floods that God sent that destroyed the earth in Genesis, God reestablished human life through Noah and his family. And then he promised that he would never destroy the earth through water and floods again. And then he even goes a step further and God refers to the climate. Have a listen to Genesis 8 verse 21 to 22. I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. Now listen to this. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease So biblically here, we've got a basis to say that our world, our earth is made to be stable, where we'll always have these seed time harvest, cold heat, summer, winter, etc. So that last sentence is really relevant to this theory of climate change. Um, not even climate change. I want to say climate emergency, climate crisis. God promises that the earth's atmosphere will continue to function. He says clearly that we're always going to have cold and heat, day and night, seasons will continue, planting and harvest. Now, some of you might argue, yes, these things might remain, but we're going to have um, extremes of these. We're going to have, you know, climate change is causing extreme heat, extreme cold. So let's look at that. So we're told that these things are getting more extreme and will end in, as Greta Thunberg said, ecosystems collapsing and mass extinction. That this is going to end in us doing irreparable damage to the earth, right? Well let's continue and look at 2 Peter 3:10, which says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So in other words, even if we get ex- some extreme things happening, God has already established a time when the earth will be destroyed. And it's by his hand, not by climate change, not by human activity, not by mass extinction, by God's hand and God's plan. Now, there's a good website on this called Creation Ministries International. Now, according to them, and this is some really interesting data to kind of back this up. um, According to them, the carbon dioxide levels, which is as we all know, a major contributor to climate change, they were actually high, really high. So carbon dioxide levels were high thousands of years ago and the earth was fine. Let me keep explaining. Nearly all of the coal that we have today was formed from the vegetation that was buried during the flood let me say that again, nearly all of today's coal was formed from the vegetation that was buried during the flood. So therefore, there was a heck of a lot of vegetation around on the earth before the flood. And if you consider the amount of vegetation that must have existed Um, that suggests that the carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere between creation and the flood must have been really high compared to today's level. Now, it's not only uh, Christian scientists that say this. Secular geologists agree that the ancient carbon dioxide levels were up to 15 times higher than now. And there is no evidence, according to them, that the earth was cooked from those levels back then. In fact, the argument is that they thrived because there's so much, there was so much vegetation. So in other words, our climate was not designed by God to be chaotic or prone to extreme changes. So let's look back a little bit in history um, on this as well before we go to number two. So historically, there were two different periods of time, one known as the Roman Warm Period and the other as the Medieval Warm Period. And temperatures back then apparently were two degrees above what the current temperatures are now for that region of the earth. Um, Now, according to the, the climate change alarmists, we should have seen mass extinction back then, but didn't. Okay, so I know I've given you a few, a few extra facts there, but basically um, the takeaway is that number one, there's a biblical basis that the climate is designed to be stable, and that God promises that He it's only by His hand that the earth will be destroyed when He returns, and that until then um, it will remain stable with seed time harvest and hot and cold and the seasons, etc. <clears throat> okay, the second biblical basis here um, is that humans actually take priority over environment. Okay. So that's the second one is that there's a biblical basis that humans take priority over environment. So what we're seeing now is the opposite where human needs are put far behind the environment and environmental needs are being put first. Now I'll explain this more next week, but although humans I agree, like have come to consume way too much. Um, And I will talk more about that on point three, but let's just establish the fact that the way that God's designed it is that the earth is here for us, not the other way around. But climate change is making a religion out of nature. Um, The greens are their, their ideology, their religion, their God is the environment. So the fact that their goal is zero net emissions, how do we even begin to achieve that while humans exist? It's not only unrealistic and unattainable, but what's happening is it's prioritizing nature over humans. So what their goals are is to have zero impact from humans being on the earth. I don't think that that's achievable. Like imagine if we heard a group say that they want zero impact from kangaroos, all right? We live in Australia, zero impact from kangaroos. So what they would be saying is, we want to minimize the kangaroos. We want no evidence in our environment that kangaroos even are out there. That's just kind of crazy. But it's funny because um, the climate alarmists are happy for nature to take their course and to make an impact, but not for humans to try and live and make their impact. So it's okay for birds to build nests and it's okay for snakes to eat rats. Uh, That's nature being nature, but it's not okay for humans to build and live and make an impact. You know, we are going to make some kind of an impact and um, we're being made to feel really bad For that. So, Genesis chapter 1, God creates man and woman. And then what does He tell them? He says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, let's look at the word subdue because I think this gives us a really good basis on how we should be going about this. The word subdue implies two things. The first is it means a footstool or a place where one places your foot. But secondly, it means to rule over, not by lording over, but by dwelling and walking among. So the idea here with the word subdue is that we are to rule over the earth and the animals, but as a benevolent leader. Who, who walks and lives among them. I love that. So subdue means where to rule over, but as a benevolent, um, trustworthy, responsible leader. So that the idea is the earth can provide for us, but we can also learn from them and take care of them. What a beautiful picture that is. Now, climast, climate activists would have us believe by the way that they talk uh, and the things that they're going for, that the earth is second to us. Um, sorry, that, that we are second to the earth and they've made a religion out of being green. So Al Gore, amongst others, argue that as more humans populate the earth, that more carbon dioxide is created in the atmosphere, which results in higher temperatures And yet this scripture in Genesis, God is telling us to populate the earth. He's saying, guys, I want you to fill it. I want more humans on the earth. But the documentary that he made, which he's very well known for, um, amongst other sensationalized images that we see on almost a daily basis, has created a sense of doom and gloom um, that gives politicians and activists justification for regulating human activity. And so the idealization of nature is suppressing human innovation and placing the environment as a higher priority than the needs of the people. When the way that God clearly established it in the Bible is that we're we're here to fill the earth. The earth is here for us. But at the same time, which I'll go into in a moment, um, we are to be uh, responsible and benevolent. So next week, I want to go into this a little bit more. But, um, you know, billions of people are fed every year um, because of things like the fossil fuels that power the energy behind our agricultural industry. And so there's just there's just so many things to consider here about we can't forget the needs of humanity. I mean, in the 80s, when I was growing up, the big thing was to, to feed every child in the world. Um, and and there are certain ways that that can only be achieved, which is going to take up energy and produce emissions. And so it's just like this, so many things to consider. It's just not as simple as what's presented to us in the media. So um, so that's the second biblical basis, all right. That um, the way that God set it up is that He made us and where to steward the environment. This is the healthy order we are going to make an impact on the environment. It is impossible to have zero impact. But this brings me to number three, which is where I want to finish on this biblical uh, foundation for climate change is number three, there is a biblical basis that we are to look after the earth. Okay. So Yes, God says that our earth will remain stable and functioning until he decides to return. That's number one. Yes, the Bible sets up the framework that, um, you know, there's not an emergency unless, you know, everything will continue to function until God comes back and God destroys it. And yes, he says that humans take precedent over the environment, that the environment, the earth is here for us and that we're to subdue it. But thirdly, he does make it very clear we have a responsibility to steward it well. So I I explain that word subdue, meaning a place to rest our feet, but to rule as one walking among it. We have a God-given responsibility not to make a God out of nature, but to treat it well. And we have to work out what does this look like which is what next week's podcast is more about how do we do that how do we balance this um because i think all of us would agree that we consume way too much as humans. We have too many things. We throw things out instead of repurposing or fixing. We eat way too much. We throw out way too much. We waste a lot. We're jumping into cars filled with petrol and we could be walking Um, you know, we're not eating local. If we were eating local and according to the seasons, then we wouldn't, you know, certain things grow in certain seasons. Like we wouldn't be eating berries all the year around. And yet we go to the supermarket and we get our packaged plastic packaged frozen berries out of, um, you know, out of the freezer. And we, we don't eat according to the way that God's established the patterns of the earth. Um, we're eating packaged foods, which are not good for us or the environment. So we have a long way to go to improve the way that we look after the earth. And I could literally quote a hundred different Bible verses about looking after the earth, but let me just give you a few of them. Numbers 35, 33 says, you shall not pollute the land in which I live. Jeremiah 2, 7 says, I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruit and good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land. And then Leviticus 25, 23 to 24, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity for the land is mine for you are strangers and sojourners with me. So I think this is a really good place to leave this part um, of the uh, part one um, of the climate change, building a biblical basis, is the earth actually doesn't even belong to us or the politicians or the media or the scientists. This is actually God's. And I think we forget that sometimes this is his earth and he made it, Um and so, I hope that's kind of given you a little bit of um, of perspective, a biblical perspective. Let me just run through those again. Number one being that there is a um, biblical basis that the climate is designed to be stable, that the hot and cold and seasons and everything will remain, and it will only be destroyed under God's mighty hand, not because of uh, mass extinction. Number two, that there's a biblical basis that humans take priority over environment, that we are the ones to rule over the earth, not the other way around. We're not to make a God out of the environment. But number three, that we have a um, biblical responsibility to look after what we've been given because this is just on loan for us and we've got a responsibility to steward it because this earth belongs to the Lord. So I think, guys, where this leaves us for next week is we've got a responsibility here to ask the hard questions. Um, You know, what is this all about? Um, What are the media telling us? What's true? What might not be true? Are are net zero targets good? Is it all good? Is it all bad? Is there something in between? You know, are there good elements that we can take? Um, Are there some harmful elements that we should expose? where does this take us? So I want to get into that a little bit more next week, but yeah, I just, I really wanted to, um, to set that precedent. Um, because one thing that I do get concerned about is how much fear that we're putting into a young generation and especially children. So when children hear speeches, like we're about to hit mass extinction, that's, that's really, I mean, kids have got anxiety left, right and center and, and to be adding Those kinds of thoughts onto them, um, that is just so scary for children. So, um, if you are a Christian with a Christian worldview, you know, be teaching your kids what the Bible says. Teach them that, you know, this earth, um, the only way it will ever be destroyed is by God's hand. That is what the scripture says. And that um, while everything still exists, that we will always have. Um, you know stability in in our um, in our atmosphere and in our climate because that is what the Bible says. So I hope that has helped you to set that up with those three points. Um, thank you for joining me. Thank you for being open minded. Can I please ask that you be open minded? Do not walk away and go, oh Renee doesn't believe in climate change like that's utter rubbish. Um, That's uh, you're going to see as we go that that is not the case at all. Um, that I think we need to bring uh, perspective. And so if you guys have got questions, comments, thoughts, please come along to girlnextdoor.podcast. I did do a little bit of a survey on my Instagram. um, So I'll share that. That was really interesting. But anything that you guys come across, because this topic is just so flipping massive. um, I just cannot do it justice. There are so many angles that we could be looking at it from. um, And so I'm just trying to do my little bit to chip away at the surface and just to say, hey, guys, don't let people put fear into you. Let's really think about this and ask questions and be critical thinkers in this area. So guys, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. I am so glad that you're here for this topic. um, And I um, can't wait to chat more with you about it next week. Until then, have a good one. Bye.